The following is audio from The Refuge Church. Every sermon is an invitation to understand, obey, and enjoy God. More information about The Refuge Church is available at therefugechurch.us. Good morning, Refuge Church. Good morning, good morning, good morning. Okay. Uh, Vern and Aaron, it'd be great if you would stop talking. Zach, I see you. Joe, thank you for sitting down. <laughs> hey, great to be here with you guys. We are going to, going to um, be in a juicy text this morning. We are, we are working through the book of Ephesians. And if this quiets you down, I will let you know this is one of the most controversial texts in all of Scripture that we will be learning about today. Dun, dun, dun. As we work through Ephesians, um, and I'll write, read our intro here after we do our prayer of confession, but uh, we work through Ephesians, and it's this beautiful uh, movement between um, who we are in Jesus, this declaration of our identity in who we are, those who have come to Jesus, and then, uh, and then the second half is and this is what it looks like to live that out. And, and we're going we're gonna to dive into some of the harder parts of that today. So uh, I'm just going to give that as a nice little framework before we jump into our prayer of confession so we can just come to God, hold our, our hands open. Um, God knows who you are. He knows how you've lived. And he still loves you. And so I invite you this morning uh, as we begin to pray with me. I'll, I'll just start with a prayer for our church that, uh, that we'll be ready, that God will give us pure hearts, uh, minds that are ready to receive, and, uh, and then I'll give you time to pray. So will you pray with me, please? Oh God, we come like we come any time to you, who is holy without um, boundary. You're not held by space and time. Our moment right now that is so important to us at our moment, which you've made important to yourself because we're in it and you love us. But God, I pray that you will, in your mercy, again, for us who really don't deserve it, but in your mercy, God, be generous with your speaking. God, help us hear. Because God, we... We live just surrounded by the noise. We live overwhelmed by the noise. God, we've opened ourselves up to so many things that confuse rather than direct us towards the good way. And we are sorry for that, God. Yeah, we pray this morning that uh, we'll enjoy you and we'll respond to your invitation to come. Go ahead and take a half minute or so. Just offer your own prayer of confession before we start.
God, I pray that what we do today is true. God, we thank you for all these things we've brought to you, the things we know and the entirety of ourselves that we don't know, that you love that and invite that to come because of the forgiveness that is ours, the death and resurrection of Jesus. Amen. Here's our start, our intro to the sermon series in Ephesians. God is calling us to be different people, a holy people. Holiness is a quality that uniquely belongs to God. Being a different people means that our primary identity is part of God's holy family. In the book of Ephesians, Paul gives instructions on how to live as holy people in a world that often does not like our kind of different. As I said today, the, the passage we're going to be looking at, which is Ephesians 5.21 to 6.9, uh, is challenging, can be controversial, has oftentimes been misinterpreted, and that misinterpretation has caused very real hurt and even trauma in the lives of people. So my request to you is keep listening and hear the love of Jesus that just runs through this. Like the love of Jesus is just these veins that course through this whole text. And we're going to be able to hear that as we understand the context within which it was written and how it applies to the context within which we are today. So may God give us understanding and acceptance of what Jesus shows us, what What God wants to show us is his vision for relationships. And the relationships that it's dealing with here is the relationship between husbands and wives, the relationships between parents and their kids, and and the words here, I mean, it's really the workplace, but servants and masters. Now, I'll unpack that a little more later, but when it talks about slaves and masters in the Roman world, everybody was in one of those categories, If you were walking around in the Roman world, one-third of people about would have been slaves. And the other ones of those would have been masters. And so he's he's building out the dynamic for what that relationships look like, the relationships in the home and the workplace. Did you know that God does actually care about what happens in the home? It matters to God. And he's actually given us a vision for what that looks like. And we should probably just start by saying... That relationship, the relationship in the home and the relationship at work, can be tough. Before you get married, I got married uh, just about three years ago, and um, you know, before you get married, you have all these ideas about what marriage will be. And uh, just for fun, I told Hannah last night, I said, hey, I'm just going to start talking about you know, about marriage and, you know, what kind of the expectations are. And then when you discover what marriage is, you know, like, what, what did people not tell us? And the first thing uh, she said was, we spend a lot of time cleaning. <laughs> that, was, that was like, you know, because before you get married, right, you really, you spend a lot of time thinking about physical intimacy. It's going to be great. And then all of a sudden you find yourself cleaning a lot, you know? My response was coordinating. 
trying to figure out who's here, who's there. You know, am I making dinner tonight? Are you making dinner tonight? It's like all these dynamics, especially as kids enter the scene. We have two now, and uh, Hannah's working today. She's uh, shooting a wedding up in Bainbridge as a photographer, not an assassin. Um, <laughs> and she is, uh, she's doing that. And so, you know, figuring out that dynamic for us to get here. I'm preaching today. <laughs> We're like getting the kids out here, coordinate with my mom. So she's going to take Evangeline here and I'll wrangle Elliot. You know, those dynamics, that's, those aren't the things you start building out as you start thinking about marriage, right? What, is it, what does it look like? Well, this is where Paul brings us. Um, we've come from this Really, this incredible um, kind of climax of spiritual joy uh, right before we start here in, in uh, verses 21. And, and he says this in 18, Be filled with the Spirit, going on to 19, speaking to one another in psalms, hymns, and songs from the Spirit. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord, always giving thanks to the Father for everything in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ. We've just gone through this. Sing and make music in your heart to the Lord and sing to one another. And it's like all of a sudden we're in the middle of this, this beautiful musical. God's being glorified and worshiped. And you're like, what is the next step to that? We, we're, right now we're living in the middle of like, like the good parts of Beauty and the Beast. And what we move into is submit to one another out of reverence to the Lord. That's the next step, submit to one another as an act of reverence to the Lord. And, and every single relationship is defined then by submission. Every one of them. I know a lot of times... You know, just capture right there and start. Wives, submit to your husbands. But every relationship here is under this heading, submit to one another. Each person to the other has a way they are living out submission or living out this act of, of generosity, thinking of the others better than themselves, laying down their life for the other person. What does this look like in each of these relationships? This is what we do as we understand our identity in God, and then we live it out, is we hopefully have hearts full of song, and those songs fill our home, and they fill our workplaces. So how does our new life in Christ, if you're living in him, how does it actually change the way we treat people, especially in our home, and and then at work, is that all our relationships should reflect the way we revere or honor Jesus, People should be able to look at those relationships, the way I treat my wife, the way I treat my kids, the way I interact with you, and be like, man, he really loves Jesus. Right? It's not just a show, it's like real. That's what, that's what they should be able to understand from our lives. So with that context, if your Bibles are just want to read along here, uh, we are going to be reading 521 to 6-9. Submit to one another out of reverence for Christ. Wives submit, to, wives, submit yourselves to your husbands as you do to the Lord. For the husband is the head of the wife, as Christ is the head of the church, his body of which he is the Savior. Now as the church submits to Christ, so also wives should to submit to their husbands in everything. Husbands, love your wives just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her, to make her holy, cleansing her by the washing with water through the word 
and to present her to himself as a radiant church without stain or wrinkle or any blemish, but holy and blameless. In the same way, husbands ought to love their wives as their own bodies. He who loves his wife loves himself. After all, no one ever hated their own body, but feeds and cares for his body as Christ does the church. For we are members of his body. And for this reason, a man will leave his father and mother, be united to his wife, and the two will become one flesh. This is a profound mystery, but I'm talking about Christ and the church. However, each one of you also must love his wife as he loves himself, and the wife must respect her husband. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise, so that it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on earth. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and instruction of the Lord. Slaves, obey your earthly masters with respect and fear and with sincerity of heart, just as you would obey Christ. Obey them not only to win their favor, but when their eyes when their eyes on you, but as slaves of Christ, doing the will of God from your heart. Serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord, not people, because you know the Lord will reward each one uh, for whatever good they do, whether they are slave or free. And masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them, since you know that he who is both their master and yours in heaven, and there is no favoritism with him. Now, I know I gave an inspiring, helpful preamble, but as we read, you probably just fell back into, wow, this is really hard stuff. And it's scary. So keep walking with me here. How do we, starting from the beginning, submit to one another in love? Because it literally, submit does mean to come under another person. To willingly put yourself under the power of someone else. How do we do that? Well, let's let Jesus define that because he is the one that is defining submission. Submit to one another, how? Out of reverence for Jesus. Eleven times in these passages, it says, I mean, listen, you can just walk through, for Christ, to the Lord, as Christ, and it goes on, to Christ. It it's all comes back to how we see him and respond to our sight of who Jesus is. We must be careful not to overstate simply a word, submit, not seeing that in context of the whole scripture and what Jesus, what God is saying, it does not mean that the authority of the husband, parents, masters is unlimited. Not at all. No submission required is to God's authority, ultimately, and it's delegated to people. So the way God is, the way Jesus acts, is the way then we act. And if someone's not acting in the way of Jesus, not treating someone else in the way of Jesus, that relationship then breaks, it crumbles, it isn't healthy. And there's a huge social shift we see in here in just the way he's delivering this message. Every time he speaks, he first, and this is profound, if, if you understand this culture, he, he talks about the person first who would be considered the person with less power. First he speaks to the wife. First he speaks to the child. First he speaks to the servant. And this is unheard of back then because what they would know is when, we would get, when they would gather Prior to Jesus coming, it would only be men. And so 
Him addressing and saying, look, these people now, we're, we're together. Children are in our midst. The slaves are sitting right alongside the masters, learning about Jesus. Wives are sitting there with their husbands, learning about Jesus. This is the context. And such a huge shift in the social norms. He goes, I want to give you some rules of thumb to learn how to be together now. That make sense? He's like, this is just not normal. The husbands and wives would be sitting together, listening to who God is and learning to respond to that. And she goes, let me just give you a rule of thumb. Submit to one another out of reverence for God. What he wants to first say is there is absolute equality here. And and he goes on to say this. This is revolutionary. He says, at the very end, masters, treat your slaves in the same way. Do not threaten them since you know that you are both masters of God and he does not show favoritism. So that means when the master and slave are sitting next to each other, God is looking and they're equals. That is revolutionary. That's amazing that he would say that, that he would address them, you're equals. But then the way you live this out is going to look differently because of the way you're living out your lives, right? And the way you have been created. So, This has been, and I just want to admit this, just say this outright, that this has been used as a way that does, has threatened powerless people in time. They hear the word submit, and then people who abuse power have used this text to abuse people, and that is not, that cannot be found here. This does not open us to unsafety and abuse. This protects us from it. That's what what this text is saying, saying, you are equals and you are equally coming under the authority of Jesus to show the love of God to one another. Submission is the way we show Jesus to each other. This is powerful. How do we, sitting alongside one another, God looking down on us, who's given us his only son because he so loves us, respond in the living of our lives to the people we are sitting next to that we might be in a very different power differential with just because of culture or the way society's set up or maybe just the way we've learned growing up. And, and Paul wants to take the very, the very um, rich truths he's said and he wants to hand this to you in a way that you can, you can use it. So he starts by speaking to the wife, elevating her, giving her a place of honor, assuring her that she has a place in the congregation. You have a place here. That's what he means by just writing, wives, we're glad you're here. That's what he's saying. And he says submit to her, following from the submit given to us that all of us mutually do to one another. And he says submit as The church submits to Jesus. How does the church submit to Jesus? We allow, this is is how we submit ourselves to Jesus, is we allow ourselves to be graciously loved. That is what he's asking of wives. Wives, let yourself in this dynamic give, give space and trust because this is a fearful new place you're in. You've never sat in the congregation of believers. That's what he's writing. You've never sat here before. But give opportunity for you to be loved. Paul is not, this is so, so, so important. Paul is not asking wives to submit themselves to anger, insult, and abuse. That is not ever the case. He is inviting them to submit themselves to gracious love. Submit yourselves as the church submits to Jesus because Jesus 
is gracious, merciful, and full of love. In this dynamic, you're loved. Be loved. That's what he's saying. The church, this is uh, one of the theologians I was reading, he said the church became the Messiah's bride not to be dragged off unwillingly by force because he gave himself totally and utterly to her. There was nothing that love could do for the Messiah's people that he did not do. Although the crucifixion plays a central role in Paul's thought, in almost every topic, nowhere else outside of Scripture, no, no, sorry, nowhere outside of this passage is it so lyrically described as an act of complete self-abandoning love. Be loved. That's, that's all he's asking. In that word, submit. Be loved. Allow yourself to be loved. And that's a scary place to be Scary place to be, opening yourself up to love. And so he looks at the husband, and what does he say? Husbands, love your wives. Just as Christ loved the church and gave himself up for her. The wife has absolute claim on the husband, just as the church has a claim on Jesus, because he's offered himself up for his people. Husband, your life is no longer your own. There's no room for negotiation. You now lay down your life as an act of sacrifice. I love the way this is written in the message. He says, husbands, go all out in your love for your wives, exactly as Christ did for the church. A love marked by giving, not getting. Christ's love makes the church whole. His words evoke her beauty Everything he does and says is designed to bring the best out of her, dressing her in dazzling white silk, radiant with holiness, and that is how husbands ought to love their wives. His words evoke her beauty. Isn't that lovely? That is how the husband submits to the wife, is he evokes her beauty. That is what it looks like in this context of submit to one another out of reverence for Jesus. The word uh, headship is, or leadership is, is used here, and, and this is so important because this too many times has conjured images of these testosterone-filled men drinking six-packs, polishing their guns, but Paul clarifies the vision of what it actually looks like, and it looks like Jesus. <laughs> when you see Paul saying, lead like Jesus in your home, he's saying, be the first to throw down your life for the sake of your family. Now, I would be remiss to not mention um, my wife's favorite quote that she loves to tell me all the time from my big fat Greek wedding, which is, the husband is the head but the wife is the neck. And she can turn the head any way she wants to. <laughs> and it's true. <laughs> it's true. Don't get, again, caught. This is very practical. Don't get so caught up in theology. You don't see that this is a partnership. This is a mutual submission to one another. This should bring out the best in both people. This is not, one person doesn't end up with a short end of the stick in this. Both are glorified, magnified, and the beauty and handsomeness are both are drawn forth. That's, that's the vision here. That's the hope 
here. And so he summarizes this way. Each of you must love your wife as he loves himself. And the wife must, my wife must respect her husband. This is this dynamic that we're learning. How do we do this? How do we submit to one another? I, I love this because um, uh, it is, um, this is the work of marriage. This is the work of relationships. Um, to, if you see your spouse diminishing or if you see your spouse um, wrestling your role is to, by the grace of God and everything he's given you, is to draw out their beauty, right? That is, that is how we submit to one another, with the gifts, skills, abilities God has given us. And, and it is not the, it, by way of the intimacy we imagine coming into marriage. If, if I were to give you just some some simple thoughts on it. We're very new and we're just learning, but some of it is just, literally, I tell new married couples this all the time, just go to bed at the same time every night, right? Because that's a good time just to talk, right? Or like figure, like say good night to each other every night. Kiss each other on the way out of work. Whoever's going to work, hey, love you, bye. (laughs) Having routines that incorporate one another thoughtfully. It isn't these grand gestures Often it's just those things that say, hey, you're in front of me, I love you. Children and fathers. I know we probably should just end there, right? We're <laughs> There's more to the family dynamic. Children and fathers. Children, obey your parents. Now, um, Again, this is, this is talking about a relationship where, where parents should be worth emulating because they're submitting to God. Um, but is it, it's so funny, as I thought about this, children obey your parents. I, I thought it is something that must be learned. Um, Elliot, we were so careful not to use the word no. We would say things like, not now, or be gentle, or, you know, all the alternatives. And you know what his favorite thing to do is? No! You know, and it's like, <laughs> it's just funny how he picks these things up. We call him Elliot all the time. And then we say, who's Elliot? And he goes, me. Or, Elliot, what's your name? Me. It's just this, <laughs> this incredible self-centeredness we grew up with. I mean, he, obviously, he is so, so kind and caring also, but it's just amazing our reluctance to obey. And it is right that children in a world where they have parents that can be emulated, um, it is a beauty of childhood to be able to learn. Children, you do have great ideas, but there's a time to speak and there's a time to listen. And it is good, good, good to listen. A couple months ago, I was um, at a, a big event in a big city. And I'll try to keep this, not that the mayor of the city is watching me preach, but, um, but the mayor of the city uh, presented and, and brought up someone from their youth council and said all the things you oftentimes hear in social services like, like you know, I agree children are our future, but they're like, we just need to get out of the way and just let them do their thing. It's like, children have so many wonderful ideas. Um, we can learn so much from them. But hopefully there's also something gained through experience, right? I mean, in terms of, like, a, the mayor, I know she's, like, like has a high level of education, and you're like, man, did you, why did you get your master's if, 
Like hopefully there's something gained that we can pass on and say, learn from us. And as you're learning, we will be in interaction. You can ask those questions. There's some things I'm going to learn too. But man, what an opportunity. What a gift. I tell people all the time, man, one of the, one of the greatest gifts among the pain of my father's diagnosis with cancer was uh, we got more time than we expected. We got over two years. I stepped into the role of, of leadership at Coffee Oasis and, and Refuge, and, and I got to ask him questions for those two years. <laughs> what would you do here? I was taking the role of a child learning, and that was an incredible gift. So children, honor your father and mother, and there's a promise attached to this, and you will enjoy long life on earth. This is an incredible privilege to be able to learn and be in that place. Now, fathers, don't exasperate your children. <laughs> this should probably go without needing definition, right? Um, dad jokes are exasperating. Um, but what, what Paul really means here is, you know what exasperates kids more than anything? It is the mantra, do what I say, but not what I do. That exasperates your children. Parents, fathers, you are being called to a life of maturity. A life where you are not speaking with careless words or coarse joking or harsh words, but your heart, your life filled up with truth is passing on that truth. And that's what is said here. Bring them up in training and instruction of the Lord. It is... What you just don't get as a kid is that your parents once were kids and they are still figuring things out, right? I mean, what parent here, I mean, probably as old as you get and you're still like, man, there's just things I do not know, right? <laughs> and, and, and yet you have children who are, are looking at you and they, man, they want to learn from you. Fill your heart, fill your life up with truth and speak simply and speak that truth. And I think he addresses fathers here because fathers, myself included, don't always open our mouths. We can be silent when words do need to be spoken. Maybe scared of saying the wrong thing or scared of our own insecurities coming to the fore, or, or maybe we just don't know. Fathers, fill yourself with truth and just simply speak that truth. And sometimes the truth just needs to be evoking the beauty of your children. Man, you're You're amazing. <laughs> You amaze me. I'm so happy to be your dad. Right? Those things that just, that is the way you are in this mutual submission, kids obeying you. You are literally submitting to them by giving them time, submitting yourself to the word, and then communicating that truth. It's a beautiful thing. Take your time to do that. Kids don't need cool dads as much as they need present ones who will take the time to speak true words even if they're very simple servants and masters okay the challenge here is we kind of want Paul just to come out swinging right and be like get rid of the old system and in a way he does Right? And the way he does, as I said, the, the Roman world at this time has 60 million slaves. About one out of every three people 
is a slave, and that is the economic relationship between people. There's no justification for it. I'm not making it. I'm just saying that's the cultural context. In that cultural context, he's saying, we need to look at this in a different way because I know now you're sitting next to one another, slave and free, and, and th- this, is, this is happening all over. I mean, you're talking about Greeks and Romans and people from Africa and people from, you know, Britannica. or You know, it's like from all over, nations subjecting nations all over the world, and they've come together, and it's just this, you're now sitting next to one another. What do we do? And, and Paul says, let's just say, just to start out, the truth is you are all equal in the eyes of God. That is what he says, and that's what we receive from this. In this working relationship that they have now as masters and, and those who are working for him are sitting side by side, he addresses first those who are slaves or servants. And he addresses them by prioritizing them. He says, you have a place here and your place is with everybody else. And the work you do as you submit to Jesus isn't for that person who, you know, probably has a lot of flaws, like fathers have flaws or wives or husbands have flaws. But your work is for Jesus First and foremost, see your work being done for God. In the same way, then he addresses the masters and he says, in everything you do, act knowing this is the way God the Father, this is the way he treats you. So you turn and treat that person next to you in the same way. These peoples whose lives are not expendable but are infinitely valuable. What does it look like for for leaders or masters or bosses to do that today. There's a a story I read recently that I thought illustrated it well. It was of two different Christian conferences happening in the same town, same time. One swanky hotel conference ends. All the A-list speakers head up to a room, beautiful buffet, lots of food. This is a true story. I was reading it from a, a person who experienced both of these and uh, this experience he experienced through the, the lens of the guy he knew who was throwing the conference, who was helping put it on. Everybody goes up to the room, food fight ensues. Food going everywhere. He comes in, the guy putting on the conference, and sees it, and one of the speakers says, oh no, don't clean it up, that's why we pay people. Okay? One conference, second conference, happening in a church on the other side of town, and... Night wraps up, great time, you know, both talking about Jesus, how do, we, how do we honor him? End of this conference, end of the night, everybody goes home, and the pastor of that church is vacuuming the floor of the sanctuary. The person telling the story says he goes to the janitor and says, why, why is the pastor vacuuming the sanctuary? And he says, the pastor asked me every month to give him one of my tasks so he remembers how our church runs. Two different forms of leadership. The first one going, no, we pay somebody to do that. The second form being, no, I, was, I want to remember everybody has a job. This happens because 
Bob is sitting there making sure sound is on you. We have you know, people doing different things. You, and I tell people this all the time. They're like, how do you help run Coffee Oasis and you know, lead the Refuge Church? And I was like, and the truth is, I tell this every time to them. I said, because I am aware that when you come on a Sunday morning, the word you need, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to preach oftentimes, but the word you need and sometimes the relationship you need is sitting next to you, not the person speaking in front of you, Right? That's how we do it, because it's a one another thing, right? My job, hopefully, is to submit to you by giving you the word, right? You're wrestling with that. We can wrestle through that together. But then we then go and submit to one another, husbands to their wives, wives to their husbands, you know, in the role and place God has given us, all in reverence for Jesus. Can people see your reverence for Jesus through the way they see your family thriving or maybe hurting, right? How do you reverence Jesus? Because of the way you show up to work or the way you lead a team at work, can people, they can. They can see how you reverence Jesus. It, it, it goes beyond this beautiful theology of the church is the fullness of him who fills everything in every way, right? That's Ephesians 1. And now we get to the, the brass tacks of, is your wife thriving? Does she know she is love and do you evoke her beauty, right? That's, that's the way it looks to be a church that's filled up with the fullness of Jesus. That the people around me, man, I'm just, I'm helping them glow, right? Like, like their God-given image who they are uniquely, beautifully, fearfully, and wonderfully made, man, I'm, I'm helping that come to the surface because of the way I am submitting to them. They're submitting to me out of reverence for Jesus. And we have different roles in that. Husbands and wives, different roles. Children, parents, different roles, right? Equals sitting side by side trying to evoke the beauty of one another. That is a, that's, a, that's amazing. I want to be a part of that, right? Do you want to be a part of that? Help people around you be beautiful. That is the way Jesus loves people. That is the way Jesus loves people. And so when we submit to one another, have reverence for Jesus, and we do Jesus' work, people should be coming alive around us, right? Man, joy, patience, peace. We should evoke that out of people. All our relationships reflecting a reverence for Jesus. Amen? Amen. Okay, let's pray together. God, this is really, this is good. God, we, we all probably look at the pieces of our lives and even maybe the relationships around us and, and know ways we've hurt them, been hurt. That's us. Jesus, that's not you. You came to bind up the brokenhearted, to restore the captive, to set the prisoner free. That's your work. God, help us not, God, give us the conviction to not compromise that, that you came to Seek and save the lost and restore that which would have been stolen. Bring back from the dead lives who so long have just been living in shame or guilt. That God, you want, you want freedom and liberation for those people, for us. 
so we can be the fullness of you, Jesus, who fills all things in every way. We can love and be loved. God, I pray that this vision, this good, 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 true, true, true vision will, will be just captured in our hearts. That we won't let go of it even with the hurt in the world, the hurt that surrounds us, the hurt maybe even present in our lives right now. Help us understand that and by the power of Jesus, evoke the beauty of those around us. Show them Jesus. Freedom. Freedom that's in him. Praise in Jesus' name, amen. Amen. We're now going to take communion together and... uh, When we take communion, we remember the, literally the breaking of Jesus, the brokenness of his body and the shedding of his blood so that we can be restored, that by his wounds we are healed. That's what we remember when we take communion together. And so uh, as we start singing and worshiping, we invite you to come up and take the bread and, and the juice, remembering the death of Jesus so we can live in his life together.